Hello, this is Joshua Bell with the recording of his sermon from August 23, 2020, entitled, Right Answer, Wrong Conclusion. I hope you enjoy it, and God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And for those of you that are wondering, yes, I started wearing my glasses again because my wife busted me on it. And she says, you know, you have glasses so that you can see. And I said, yes, but I don't look as cool with them on. <laughs> and notice who won that battle. <laughs> Hear now these words from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, or Petros. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not, Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then... He sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. But who do you say that I am? I mean, that's the one-liner that we all wrestle with, right? So uncompromising and closed-ended Jesus raises the question, and we all join the disciples to overhear what response Peter will give, because let's be honest about it, in a lot of senses, we are like Peter. And what does he say? Well, Jesus, you are the Messiah, truly the Son of the living God. You know, one of the things that I always forget about is, is that uh, when I was working with children, there was, there was always this thing about kids when you'd ask them deep theological questions about God or Jesus. And they have three answers for just about everything. And I one time decided I was going to mess them up. Now I want to give you the three answers so you know what I'm going to say. You could ask any child how to fix anything and they'll either say Jesus, God, or the Bible. Every single time. Never fails. And, and when they get to high school, the goal then becomes we have to challenge them a little bit more to say, well, you can be the answer also. Right? But really, the carbon copy answer for every single thing when you're a kid is Jesus, God, and the Bible. So one day I decided that I would mess with the kids. <laughs> Shocking, right? <laughs> so I said to them, I said, listen, what, what happens when you have a bad day? Who do you talk to? God. Fantastic. How do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Because Jesus died on the cross. Fantastic. What do you think of but Butterfingers, the Bible? What? Wait a minute. What just happened? And they said, wait a minute. 
I don't think the Butterfingers are just like the Bible. I said, that's what you just said. I mean, I think Butterfingers are just as close to being biblically awesome as, as the Bible is. Somebody had to create this God-given piece of beauty on this earth, such as God, that created the Butterfinger. God gave that person that brain. So what's wrong with that answer? They're like, you know, Josh, but that's not, I mean, come on. It's not fair. Cool, I'm just going to go ahead and sit here and eat my Butterfinger. <laughs> so Peter does what we just said. He gives the right answer, right? He, he's been questioned several times. He's seen the feeding of the 4,000. He's had this conversation with this Jesus several times. And what does Peter say? Well, you are the Messiah, duh. I mean, we watched you walk on water. We watched you do all of these things. You have to be something different. And you are the son of the living God. This is a very different story in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark's version of the story, he has a different response. For example, Matthew has Jesus' blessing, Peter, while his answer in Mark is more of a rebuke. It's, but that's not all that we wrestle with in the text. I mean, we've got to come to grips at some point with the, the Son of Man title and the issue of authority that he gives to Peter. I will give you the authority keys of uh, the kingdom of blah, 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 and whatever you bind on, blah, 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 it'll be lost in blah, 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 blah. He gives them this whole great conversation, but this is really still fresh in their minds that they just fed 4,000 people, and the disciples had undoubtedly heard talk. So when Jesus asks them, what are you hearing about the Son of Man? They give him the Jesus, God, and the Bible answers. Well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. I mean, he was superstar in the Jewish world. Elijah, you know, he's the one that rides up into heaven on a fiery char uh, chariot. And it's like, my, it's, it's the example my wife uses uh, that there were aliens in the Bible. Because the chariot of fire had to be a spaceship as Elijah is carried up into the sky, right? So, you have this beautiful, cool story of Elijah flying in the sky, and then it's followed up with Jeremiah, you know, the young prophet. Matthew is the only one that mentions Jeremiah as somebody that could be the son of man. It's kind of awesome. And then there's this, really what happens is the beginning of the journey motif from this point on till his arrival in Jerusalem and his ultimate death and resurrection story. You see, Matthew follows Mark closely, but the shift in the way that Jesus responds to Peter's confession is astonishing. In Mark, Peter's response is met by caution and, as always, a messianic secrecy that approaches reprimand. In Matthew, however, I don't know if it's necessarily a positive thing. He says, Peter's confession is greeted as a breakthrough of great significance. Now, I want you to hear this blessing that he gives to Peter. He says, blessed are you, uh, son of Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Okay. 
So I want to remind you about this guy. Jonah. Matthew decides to use Jonah as an example of the Son of Man. Do you remember the story of Jonah? This is a very good Midrashic text. Jesus is blessing him in the name of Jonah. You know, the guy that God says, you're going to go to Nineveh and tell them if they don't repent, I'm going to burn them to the ground. And what does Jonah do? I don't want to go. So he jumps in a boat and he goes in the exact opposite direction. And as he's on this direction, a big storm comes and everybody draws lots and Jonah loses. And they throw him overboard and the storm stops and he gets swallowed up by a gigantic fish. And if you read it in Hebrew, it doesn't say that the fish spit him onto the ground. It says he threw him up or vomited him on the earth. So Jonah, covered in fish guts, super mad that he's been in a fish for three days, can, walks right into the place in Nineveh, looks him in the face and says, you all better repent or you're going to burn in hell and I can't wait for it to happen. And the craziest thing happens. They repent. And you can see Jonah. It's the first example of the first temper tantrum in the Bible. Jonah gets mad at God and says, how dare you not kill them? I was swallowed up in a fish for three days and you threw me up on the shore and here these Ninevites are. They just did what you said. They just gave you the Sunday school answer and they did exactly what you said. So that's it. I'm out. Peace. And he walks out of Nineveh and has a full-blown temper tantrum and sits on the outside of town pouting. Stupid God. Can't believe he saved the Ninevite. This is fair. And as he's sitting there pouting, God gives him a fig tree to give him shade. I don't like the fig tree. Stupid fig tree. And all of a sudden, you have this story of Jonah that is tied to Peter. Anybody catch that part? Mm -mm. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah who never does anything I tell you to do correctly. Not once are you going to do it right. But eventually you'll come around. <laughs> now I want to talk to you a little bit about how they make such a big deal of this Petros, or this Peter as the rock. The name Peter means stone or rock. In, in Aramaic, the, the Greek word is Petros, which literally means uh, comes from the hard substance like found in petrified wood. <laughs> What's interesting to me is, is that until the naming of Peter by Jesus, we find no documented instances of anyone ever being named the rock in Aramaic or Greek prior to Dwayne Johnson. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's a different story <laughs> altogether. But no one ever gets called a rock. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you're as dumb as a rock. Your head is as thick as petrified wood. Well, I'm going to build the church on your stubbornness, is what he's saying. But we don't ever read that, do we? We always read it as, oh, Peter, you're so awesome. It's so great that you, you, your name just sounds just like a rock. No, no. Remember, he has three names. Cephas, Simon, and then he gets named Peter. And Jesus calls him, you are a rock. Yeah, I don't think that you're going to see Peter walking down the street saying, 
Can you smell what Peter's cooking? You just, you're not going to see it happen. But you're also not going to see him jump into a fish for three days and be vomited up on the shore. Why would various people associate the Son of Man's identity with John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or other prophets? I mean, what do we know about the expectations of the Son of Man and the histories of these people that make them possible candidates? Well, John the Baptist prepares the way in the same way that Elijah would have. Elijah is, he's, he's a rock star in my, my book as far as the Hebrew Bible. I mean, he, he's pretty awesome. Besides the fact that he gets carried up on chariots of fire, and all I can hear in my head is, dun, 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 dun. Every time that I think of Elijah, dun, 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 dun. Do you remember that from the movie, Chariots of Fire? Okay, some of you remember, some of you don't. But then there's Jeremiah, and he wasn't a bullfrog in this story. But Jeremiah was this young prophet that had the ability to talk to people in such a way that they hurt him. And when he felt as though he never had the right words, God gave them to him. Now, this question is directed to us in the Gospel of Matthew. If you ask the typical person, who is Jesus Christ? What would be the common responses? I mean, at that point, you can't say, well, Jesus, God, and the Bible. If you pulled two good friends from your early teen years, what adjective would they use to describe you? I think it's a little bit of a coincidence that I decided to preach this sermon when one of my lifelong friends by the name of Bill Ooten, who knew me as a teenager and would have lots of adjectives to use that probably did not have the phrase preacher in them, came to church this morning. But if you polled two good, uh, two good friends of yours from your early teen years, what adjective would they use to describe you? In the 4th century, there's this writer that writes prolifically by the name of Theodore of Heraclea. And he says that Jesus asks this question in order that we might know what opinions about him were currently among the Jews. He also asks... So we might learn to inquire intently into what people are saying about him. And if it is bad, to remove the causes, or if complementary, to increase them. You see, this is the problem that we've been presented today in our church and today in the aspect of Christianity how does Peter respond? It's not just a carbon copy answer, even though I made light of it. You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. You see, the Messiah fixed and saves the world. He's not saying this just to be flippant. He's saying it from a deep, resonating voice in the bottom of his soul, saying that you are here to save the world. And I'm proclaiming you as such. What happens when somebody asks you, who do you say that Jesus is? Now let's, let's just really focus in inwardly for a second. When somebody asks us, 
Who is Jesus the Messiah to you? Most of us have our carbon copy answers that we give to them. Well, he's our Savior. Oh, well, that's good. Well, what does that mean? You see, one of the things that Peter's doing here as a model for us is, is that he's declaring him as the Messiah. And that means that as soon as he does that, that means he's different. He's changed. And then the story of Matthew changes the, the, the motif into as he's traveling to Jerusalem. What happened when you said that Jesus was the Messiah? Was it a holy moment? Like with Christy this morning? What happens when somebody asks you who the Messiah is today? How do you respond? Now, please understand that it's, it's two-sided. When you say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that means that you are supposed to be different, that you are changed, that you look at the world through different lenses than you did before. And maybe, and just maybe, you might do it like Matthew does and use examples that people might know, or you might just be speechless like the rest of the disciples in the story. Who do you say that the Messiah is? Our world has lots of things that could fill in the blank of saving the world. We put money and we put wealth and we put all of our possessions and we put our friends and we put everything else except for what it is that Jesus has asked us to do. Jesus isn't concerned what the world thinks. He wants to know what the disciples think. Notice that I keep pointing this finger, recognizing that I have three more pointed right back at me. When I say, who do I think the Messiah is? I have to be careful what that means. When I graduated from high school, I had this, I don't know, I had this brainwashed moment that I just decided that I was just done with organized religion. I had nothing to do with it because everything that they did decided that my generation wasn't good enough to ever attend church. They always commented on us. They never just let us be. I walked into church with a tattoo. They looked at me and they went, oh, you're one of those guys. I walk into church with an earring. They're like, oh, you're one of those guys. I walked into church with long hair. Oh, you're one of those guys. And every th single time that it happened, it seemed like I decided to take the brunt of everybody's aggression, even though they didn't actually say anything. I just felt like they did. And when they would ask me who I thought the Messiah was, I would say, he was a peasant. He was a healer. He was a teacher and he changed the world. And why aren't we doing the same when we proclaim Jesus as Messiah? He says, take up your cross and follow him. Why are we not doing that? So I decided with my passionate teenage voice to yell and scream and holler at every Christian organization I could go to trying to disprove or prove their understanding the Bible is inaccurate or faulty. All the while making me look like my brain was made out of Petrox. Like I was as dumb as a rock. The question isn't simple. You see, Peter came up with the right answer. 
And you have the right answer, but a lot of times we come to the wrong conclusion. We seem to think that once we say it, that's all that we have to do. If I say that Jesus is the Messiah, everybody will leave me alone. And of course they will. We leave you to your own devices as God speaks to you, right? But I feel as though Jesus is challenging Peter as well as anyone that will listen. He tells them to stay quiet because they haven't figured out what that means yet. It becomes our mission to equip the saints for the work of ministry. How do we do that? We ask them that one question, who do you say that he is? Go, do likewise in the name of Jesus. My hope is, is that if somebody came up to you and members of our congregation, because, you know, my church is perfect. I never have to worry about you all giving uh, cookie-cutter cookie answers with just simple Jesus, God, and the Bible question answers. Because my congregation is perfect. I would hope that if somebody came to you and said, who is this Jesus Christ you speak of, you would tell them a story about how you came to know Jesus. And how because you ran into this man named Jesus, this peasant healing teacher, your life was forever changed. And that because your life was changed, it became the mandate of your existence to be the embodiment of that Savior in a world that desperately needs it. Be careful of always having the right answer. Because you might not understand the question. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.